Good morning. How are we doing? Good? Sweet. Um, this morning's passage is from Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and it goes, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with the God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That is God's word right there. Thank you, Christian. And thank you all for being with us today at River Oaks. Uh, so good to have you with us this morning. It's an exciting time in the life of our church. We have begun what we're calling our Beyond Initiative, and it has to do with a vision we believe God has given us for our church for the years ahead. Just a little bit of background. In the summer of 2017, our elders began meeting to pray and seek the Lord about how we as a church could bear the most fruit that we can possibly bear in the coming years. And the result of that time together is what we call our 2025 vision. It's an expression of what we think our church should look like and the impact that we should and could have if God does an even greater work among us in the future than he's done in the past. As part of this uh, vision, we believe some changes are necessary in our building, and that has given rise to this Beyond Initiative. Now, on the screen, you'll see some opportunities to learn just a bit more about our building plans as they relate to our vision. We have a couple of dinner events coming up October 10th and then uh, Sunday, October 14th. Food's provided, child care is provided, but we ask that you would please register in advance if you'd like to attend one of these. It would be an immense help if you would do that in the next day or two. There are more details about these events, some in homes, some uh, the dinners here at the church in the coming weeks. Also, if you've not yet picked up one of the brochures about our Beyond Initiative, you can get one of those at the Resource Center, which is on your right as you exit the sanctuary later today. And that will give you a little more detail about some of the changes and additions we're planning uh, to our building here. Now, one question has arisen. We've talked a little bit about the uh, classroom building that we're building and the new entrance to Noah's Ark and some other things. Because we have linked this to our 2025 vision, some have assumed these changes in the building will be completed in the year 2025. And that's not the case. Uh, the if all goes as we expect in the next couple of months, building construction will begin this January 2019 and be complete by next fall at this time. So we're super, super excited about that. And again, you can get more info in the brochures. Also, if you go to our website, riveroakschurch.org, to the Beyond section, 
Uh, you can see everything that we've uh, put out so far related to this, our uh, video as well there. One other item I'll note in your uh, worship guide, your bulletin this morning, is that our last new member class of the year starts up next Sunday. And so if you'd like to be part of that, today would be the last day to uh, indicate that on your Hey, I'm Here card and register uh, for that. As we're looking ahead to what we pray that God will do in and through our church over the coming years, I find it helpful to look back into our history to observe the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past. Maybe you find that helpful in your own spiritual life as you think about something God is calling you to do. It's helpful to think of His faithfulness to you in the past, isn't it? Well, that helps me as I think about our church. And one of the things in our past that really speaks to me about God's great faithfulness for us and the wonderful things he has in store for us, has to do with this spot where we're located today. A little bit of history. Our church began meeting with public worship services on March 21st, 1999 at Forsyth Country Day School in Louisville. And we rented the school there until we moved in this building in 2006. But after we'd been meeting about a year, we realized that that was, of course, not going to be our permanent home, and we began searching for land. Our land search team did a wonderful job, and they finally located a piece of property on Concord Church Road in Louisville. We wanted a lot of land so the church would not be hindered in any expansion plans for years and even generations to come. And this piece of land uh, was and is beautiful. 30 acres, and we entered a contract to buy this land at that time for, I believe, $600,000. Now, there were some concerns about this particular location. There, there was not, for example, uh, so there weren't sewer lines there. There were going to be certain limitations on the development of the church for that reason and others, but we felt it was great. We thought this was what God had provided. And so we even raised money in our uh, church to be able to pay the price for this land at the time of closing. We've been saving money since our first service. We were able to put money aside for this land fund, so we were in pretty good shape there. But as we continued to pray, it was always with this request, Lord, if this is not your best, if this is not your best for any reason, please close the door. In the process of soil testing, we needed a little more time beyond the first closing date, and the owner at that point decided not to sell it. The door slammed closed. That was a time of discouragement in our church. There were some people in our church that were not happy with our elders, and with me, I'm sure, wondering, why did, why did you all let that get away from us? People had already given money for the purchase of this piece of property. So we did what we Christians should always do when we face discouragement or a crisis. We went to prayer. And we called the church to a focused time of prayer for the right piece of property for a church. And one Sunday in the bulletin, we put a little sheet of stickers, tiny blue dots. And we said, 
<clears throat> take these blue dots, put them on your phone, put them on your rearview mirror, put them on your mirror in your bathroom, on your television, on your watch, and when you see the dot, pray for the spot. You see the dot, pray for the spot. And so the church began to pray. We began to pray together. And then uh, we heard that this land right here on Louisville Clemens Road, uh, a site better than we dreamed possible that had the full provision of the sewer lines, none of the other restrictions on our development, might be available if a handful of families that own the property were all related would agree to sell. A realtor in our church named Tom Carlisle, he, he approached those families and sure enough, they came together and at the day of closing, there was a whole line all the way down our office. There were so many people that had that signed that paperwork, but there was agreement and we were able to buy the property here on Louisville Clemens Road. And we, this, this was a location far beyond what we had imagined. And that's just, to me, one evidence of the way that God has worked in our church. And as we look to our future, to the greater things we pray and believe that he will do, we're praying he'll continue to work that way for our church. Now, as we've talked about what God is going to do in our church in the years to come, we're also looking at what he'll do in us individually. And I raised the question last week, do you have a vision for your own spiritual life in the year 2025? We have a vision for our church for the year 2025, but do you have a vision for your spiritual life? Have you ever thought about what your life might look like five, six, seven years down the road? Most of us make plans for uh, our lives financially. We plan for our retirement. We plan for education. You may have a vision for what you want to do vocationally that's different several years from now, but do you have a vision for how your life, your spiritual life, your walk with God might be different? You know, the Bible gives us, I think, a lot of insight into God's vision for the spiritual maturity of his people. It's perhaps expressed most clearly in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse 29, where the apostle Paul writes of God, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That is, God plans for us to be increasingly shaped to the image and the likeness of Jesus. So five, six, seven years from now, every one of us should look more and live more like Christ, like he would have us live. The passage that Christian read for us just a moment ago gives even more detail about how our lives can look more like Christ. Beautiful passage here in Philippians uh, chapter 2 paints a picture of what life can look like for a follower of Jesus. And at the center of the example of Christ for us is his self-humbling. The self-humbling of Jesus then is a model for life as his followers. The Apostle Paul writes these words, have this mind among yourselves. And when he says have this mind, he means have this attitude, think this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at those words. This is, I believe, one of the most important passages in the Bible. It tells us of Jesus' pre-existence with God the Father, that he has always been. It tells us of Jesus' equality with God, of his deity. It speaks of Jesus' incarnation, that is, Jesus coming incarnate in flesh by taking the form of a servant, being found in human form. It tells us of his crucifixion, of his death on the cross. And it tells us of his incredible humility. And it was a humility that he chose, his self-humbling. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the Apostle Paul is, is framing it for us this way. Look at the self-humbling of Jesus and have this mind among yourselves. Have this attitude in your relationships as followers of Jesus. Let this be your attitude, which is yours in Christ. In light of what Jesus has done, we see in this passage these things which we are called to. We're called to live on others' first life. And the Apostle Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now think about those words for a moment. Nothing. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, arrogance, pride. But in humility, like the humility of Christ, count others more significant than yourselves. Don't look only to your own interests, but the interests of others. One thing I know is true about our church, it's true about every church. There are a number of people among us who at any point in time, uh, there are a number of people in our church having significant struggles in their marriages. And I say that just because... I read the ham here cards every week. And many of you have prayer requests about marriages. We all struggle, those of us who are married at some point. Marriage can be challenging. But I would prescribe to you these two verses to apply in your relationships, in your home. I think they can be transformative. To do nothing from self-centeredness or selfish ambition or conceit but to consider others more significant than yourselves. Not an easy thing to follow the self-humbling example of Jesus, but as we'll see as we continue in this, God provides the resources for that. Because we're not only called to live in others' first life, we're also called to work out what God has first worked in us. And you'll see this in the passage on the screen if you would advance those slides. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, 
not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Now notice the wording very carefully. Work out your salvation. It does not say work for your salvation. Our salvation has been secured by Jesus on the cross. He has done it all. Christianity is not a self-help religion. It's not a self-help salvation. Salvation is provided by Jesus wholly and fully when he humbled himself, became human, and paid the debt on the cross. Verses we just read tell us that. This passage is telling us to work out what God has worked in. In our study guide for our small groups on this particular passage, David Holcomb comments on the wording here, and he uses the analogy of mining. Mining gems out of a, out of a mine, bringing out what has already been placed there, what, are, what has already been put there. And that's a good way to understand the teaching of the Apostle Paul there. Because for everyone who knows Jesus, everyone who's embraced his salvation, everyone who's his follower, there's a remarkable truth the Bible gives us. And it says, he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. That is, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within you. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he'll, he's with you and he will be in you. The Apostle Paul writes, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. God is placed within you, his very own spirit. And so the call for life as a Christian is not to just exert your will and work as hard as you can and have as much self-discipline as you can to live an others-focused life, but to rely on the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. The Bible says the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He's the one who provides the resources. Our part is to live it out, to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. And as Paul writes here, because it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when we do that, something else is true. It's something we're called to in light of what Jesus has done. We're called to shine as lights in a dark world. You see that in the following verses. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Interesting description of the world, isn't it? Crooked, twisted generation. That's true over 2,000 years ago and certainly today as well. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. The follower of Jesus, living in light of what he's done, Walking in the Spirit, living in others' first life, is called to be and will be a light in a dark world. You know that God has always called His people to be different from the world around them. It's true in the Old Testament with the Israelites. God wanted them to be a special people, a distinct people, a set-apart people, and that's why He gave them His laws his laws were to cause them to live differently from the pagan nations around them who worshipped idols and sacrificed their children and did all manner of horrible things. They were called to be different. As New Testament believers, we are called to follow the one 
who fulfills the law, Jesus. And by following him, following his self-humbling example, by living like him, we likewise will shine as lights in the dark world. That's why Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. I read an interesting article um, this past week. It's, it's, a, it's a year old. It was in USA Today um, last year about this time. And it was about the Christian response to um, Hurricane Harvey. You remember the horrific flooding there. And... Um, I was interested to, to see this was in USA Today, frankly, and here's, here's a little bit of what that article says. Disasters come unpredictably, as did Harvey, but the response to such disasters follows a distinct pattern, and that pattern consistently involves the disproportionate presence of people of faith. Volunteers associated with these groups, and the author is referring to a, a list of volunteers, and, he, and he's speaking of the S's, the ones that start with S. From these groups, he lists Salvation Army, uh, Samaritan's Purse, the Southern Baptists, as well as in many local churches, have proved themselves vital to disaster relief efforts as they work to provide food, water, and other supplies to people in need. They do these things not out of a sense of guilt or a desire to impress, but instead a longing to do unto others as they believe God has done unto them. They see generous giving as a way to express their faith and live out Jesus' command to love others and neighbor above self. Praise God, that's true. I have no doubt that's going to be true here in Eastern North Carolina and, and South Carolina with the present flood. In fact, I know it's true because just reading the Hey, I'm Here cards last week, there are some in our church who've already left and already gone there to begin serving and helping with the, the flood relief. It's what believers do. We're called to live another first life and shine as lights in a dark world. So I would leave you with this question this morning. How can I follow the example of Jesus in my home? in my school, and where I work. Would the people around me in those environments right now say, wow, she's really different. You know, I can tell she has faith in God, faith in Jesus. Wow, his life is different. I can tell he's a sincere Christian, follower of Jesus. And let me stress this as we're talking about following Jesus. Jesus is our example because he was first our Savior. Christianity is not a self-help religion. It's not about just working as hard as we can, exerting our will as much as we can to, to follow an example of Jesus as perfect and wonderful as it is. But recognizing that Jesus first saved us and God worked in us the resources that we're called to work out as we walk in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. God always gives us the power to do everything that he calls us to do. There's nothing God ever calls you to do that he does not give you the resources to do. 
There's no temptation you'll face in life that God has not given you the ability first to overcome, but the key is to overcome in reliance upon His strength, His power, not our own. We simply work out what God has first worked in. We live out of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that He's given to us. Jesus is our example, but He's first our Savior because He bridged the unbridgeable gulf between God and humanity. So important is this to Jesus' mission. So central is the crucifixion to what He came for that He's given us a way to always remember it, visibly and tangibly. And it's with what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. You may know it as the the Eucharist in your past uh, church tradition. I'd like to look just for a moment at the words of the Apostle Paul as we prepare to celebrate communion this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Think about that for a moment. If you take the bread in a moment, if you choose to do that, and if you take the cup, You're making a visible proclamation that, yes, I have personally received the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And I think that means, at least in part, this is no mere religious ritual that we just take without any meaning or significance It really has to do with our having really received by faith what he's done for us on the cross. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Just a moment, the servers are going to come and they'll serve you the bread and then the juice. If you choose to take it and if you say, hey, I'm I'm not a Christian, I, I don't want to partake of it, that's okay. Just hand it to the person next to you. Nobody's going to judge you for that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're very welcome to take it. Or if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you're very welcome to participate in communion. You you may be here for the first time. You don't have to be a member of our church. But I do think it's important that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And after you've been served this morning, if you have a need for prayer for yourself or someone else, we'll invite you to come to one of these front rows And uh, while others are being served, we have folks ready to pray with you and for you. But first, let's do as that passage of Scripture says and examine ourselves before we take communion. Father, we pray now. We ask that you would help us today to take the Lord's Supper in the right way. That we would understand the significance of this holy thing that we call communion. That, Lord, our faith would be strengthened as we do. Our commitment to you. 
would be renewed. And if there's anything standing in the way of close fellowship with you, someone we need to forgive, or a sin we need to confess, Lord, would you please bring it to our minds that we might confess it before you, that you might remove it from our lives. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray, in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.